Hello everyone, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday Bible Study. Um, and I'm just so glad you could be here today with us. And uh, yeah, today we're continuing in the book of Matthew. We have, uh, we're going nice and slow through the New Testament so that we, we don't miss anything and then we catch all the, the little bits and have a real good deep think about what each little passage is about. Now, if you're just catching on today, and this is the first one that you're watching, do not worry about that because you can catch on wherever we're at. It, you won't be behind, you won't feel lost or left out. Um, right where we are is a great place to begin. So if you haven't been with us along this journey, uh, feel free to get on this train right now, right here, and we will do this together. And good morning to everyone. Good morning, Violi. Good morning to everyone who's joining on with us today. Hello, hello, Moira. Nice to have you with us today. <laughs> and everyone else who joins, welcome. Welcome today to Wednesday Bible Study. Okay, well, why don't we get started now? Uh, we are reading today, so you can find it in your Bible, or if you're taking notes, or maybe you're just listening. That's fine, whatever, all good. Matthew chapter 9, and we're in verses 14 through 17. And today we're going to talk about how you can't mix grace and law. They just don't gel. You can't live a life of grace if you're being held by the law. Likewise, if you're under the law, you just won't get grace. You just won't understand. All right, so we're going to talk about that today. Why don't we read that? First, hey, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is full of life. Your word is inspired by you. Teach us today. Open our eyes. Help us to see what we didn't see before. And, um, and Lord, just bring your word alive in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There we go. All right. We're going to read chapter 9, starting at verse 14, just a few verses. Here we go. And it's entitled in my Bible, Jesus is questioned about fasting. Hmm. Okay. Verse 14. Then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls. It pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. What is this about? <laughs> what even is this about? Okay, well, let's talk about what this is about. Now, the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and they ask him a question. They, want to, he, they would like to know why his disciples don't seem to be fasting, but they notice... Um, that they themselves, well, they know they themselves fast, and they've noticed the Pharisees fast. Those are the religious people of the day, but not Jesus' disciples. Now, from other scriptures that we have gone over and that are in the Gospels, we know that the religious leaders of the day, uh, the Pharisees, they've lost the heart behind the actions of the law. 
In other words, fasting is actually a good thing uh, for someone who genuinely wants to draw closer to God, right? And in a prayerful way. There's nothing wrong with fasting. Actually, it's a great thing, right? Jesus isn't saying it's not a good thing. When it's done with the right attitude and out of a heart of genuine love for God, then it's good. But the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, they were just ticking religious boxes. They were fasting because that's someone, um, that someone who is religious, they must be seen doing that. That's what they must be seen doing so that people will see them and go, oh, aren't they holy? And, you know, to get a reaction out of people. They were actually doing it to be seen by people, not necessarily to get closer to God. It was ticking a religious box, saying, yeah, there, done that. Uh, did my two, week, uh, two days of fasting this week. I'm good. There you go. You've seen. I'm a holy person. Okay, what is fasting? Let's just talk about that in case you're new to this and you're like, well, what is fasting? I mean, we hear a lot about it these days as a health benefit that there's, um, you know, intermittent fasting that's not eating for a time. Well, it actually is that. It is putting food aside for a certain amount of time. Okay, so what is fasting? It's abstaining from eating. From eating. And, and what it implies is there's a disruption in the rhythm of life. And that's what you want when you fast. You, you don't want same old, same old, eating my breakfast, eating my lunch, eating my dinner and my two snacks in the day. What you want is that disruption. And what that disruption was, that little bit of hunger, that instead of eating a breakfast, hey, I'm going to pray and read my Bible and get some spiritual food. Oh, another disruption. No lunch. Okay, I'm going to take out my Bible again. I'm going to read some scriptures. I'm going to talk to God and, and, and have a little worship time with him. The same thing happens again at dinner time. A little bit of disruption of your normal everyday rhythm of life so that you are making your body aware, your mind aware that, hey, my life's a little different today. I need to be thinking about God. I need to be drawing closer to him. Does this make God love you more? Um, hear you a little extra more? No, no. It doesn't change God. It changes us. It makes us more sensitive to hearing God's voice because we're attuned. We're listening more. You see, God is speaking, but often we're not listening because we're not attuned to that. We have the noise of the world and the noise of our rumbly tummies telling us, oh, I'm hungry or even boredom. Did you ever just eat for boredom? Hello, I do that sometimes. You know, you're just bored. So you go to the fridge and you think, you know, in those times when you're not allowed to eat or you're making yourself not allowed to eat, you've put that upon yourself. You say to yourself, I'm going to think about God in these moments. I'm not going to go run and have myself a biscuit. I am going to go and I'm just going to read a psalm. Think about what God's saying to my heart. Okay. And yeah, it's for the... It's, it's so that you say to yourself, um, I'm depending on God in these moments. I'm not, I'm not going to go to natural things. I'm going to go to supernatural things. The word of God. Prayer. Okay. Um, okay. And it's not just about fasting. It's not just about not eating food. Like I said, it involves certain aspects of things. Like um, repentance. You come to God and you say, show me, God, is there things in my life you're not happy with? And then you can talk to God about those things and say, you know what, God, I am sorry. I'm going to change that now. I'm going to change how I do that now. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to have that bad attitude anymore. I don't want to have this, this thing that I'm going to change because repentance is changing your thinking on something and saying, you know, this is how I used to do it. I'm not happy with that anymore. I want to, I want to do something that pleases God. So it's doing it from a good heart. It involves prayer, talking to God, just just drawing close and talking to him. And it, it also represents 
a type of mourning. Yes, mourning, like like what people do when people die. That, 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 that sadness, that time you come away and you're very thoughtful. Now, why is that? Why would fasting be like representing mourning? Well, because people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Testament in particular, fasted when they had a problem, such as when the nation was going to go to war and they were seeking God's advice on how to go about the battle or was God going to be with them in the battle. They would also set aside time of prayer and fasting to get guidance in important issues and questions that they had. Um, for, uh, for example, just, just one example, Queen Esther, when she knew that um, Haman had made that terrible law that all the Jews would be killed, she set aside days of fasting and asked the people if they would also fast and pray because she had to do something very important, which was approach an ungodly king and talk to him about this terrible issue and get it sorted out. So it's a time of, of seeking guidance from God when there's something heavy on your heart. Um, and like I said, fasting is not about changing God. God does not change, but it's allowing God to change us. It's, it's putting us ourselves out there, making ourselves vulnerable so that he can change us. And, and our hearts are turned toward him and open toward him. And we're feeling a little bit more vulnerable in times of fasting because our hunger might cause us to feel... Um, I don't know, I'm just going to say more vulnerable, you know, in that in that way, that we are maybe more emotional, maybe, I don't know, we just bring it all before God, all of us, our whole flesh, everything about us, even our needs and our wants and everything, we're bringing it before Him. Okay, so we become more sensitive um, as to God as we become more physically weak as we fast. Um, and it's the idea is that when the flesh is weak, that we're more in tune with what's spiritual and we can hear God more clearly. And in hearing God more clearly, we can hear and then obey what he tells us to do or what he's saying to us. So that is the idea behind fasting. That is why it represents a type of mourning. And um, obviously it is something that people did in the Bible. And even today, when, when someone dies, when there is a sadness one of the first things to go for a lot of people is the appetite. We naturally will eat less. Okay, so um, Matthew 6. Um, uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us what, what he thinks of the Pharisees fasting. So these guys came to him, the uh, disciples of John, and said, you know, we fast, the Pharisees fast, why don't you fast? Well, we've been given a little window we're in Matthew 9 now, but when we were in Matthew 6, we find out what Jesus has to say about the Pharisees fasting. And he outright said it. He said, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons so that they can be seen. You know, when we do our fasting, we do it in private. Make yourself look beautiful. Make yourself look great like you're not fasting. Because the, the point is to be seen by God and not seen by men so that people won't won't say to you, oh, aren't you holy? But God is looking at the heart, and that's what's important. So you're not supposed to make yourself look like, oh, I'm starving to death, you know, and dark circles under the eyes, and your clothes are a little messed, and you know. No, you put on your best, you smell your best, you look your best, and that is for God, and that is because you're doing it for the right reasons, not to be seen by men. So he was saying in Matthew 6, I know you Pharisees, I know that that's why you fast. So he wasn't completely... Um, Loving the fasting of the Pharisees, right? Okay. Now, it was a big part of the religious life of this day, even. I'm talking about Old Testament times, but now where Jesus is here, it was a big 
a big part of religious people's lives. They still fasted. I'm sure some people were very genuine, but a lot of the people and a lot of the religious leaders were the ones who were not being genuine. Okay, so Jesus responds to their question, and I'm just going to give the paraphrase of that. He says, and he speaks of it in terms of a wedding where the bridegroom is there. Now, the bridegroom is the man of the wedding, right? He's there, and the bride and the bridegroom are at the wedding. And what is a wedding? A wedding is a time of rejoicing. So he says the bridegroom is with the bride, and that's not a time of mourning. But one day, the bridegroom will go away, and that'll be the right time to fast for my disciples. Right? So who's going to fast at a wedding? He's saying, listen, I'm the bridegroom. I am here with my bride, right? We are the bride of Christ. They were the bride of Christ. He's saying, I'm right here with them. That's a time of rejoicing. Hey, if they have any genuine need, they'll come to me. I'm right here, face to face. We're right here with each other. Um, there's no reason at this time for my people to fast, he's saying. I'm right here if they need me. I'm right in front of them. Now, Jesus isn't saying that fasting never needed to happen. What he's saying here is that there's a proper time for fasting to take place. And that will take place at a later time when the bridegroom is taken away. And we all know that he was crucified, he died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. And he was no longer with them in the way that they knew. Okay, so it was different. It was more like the relationship with with. Jesus that we have now that yes of course he never leaves us he never forsakes us but we can't see him physically with our eyes right here but we know his presence is with us his Holy Spirit he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us so we now have what the what Jesus is speaking of here that one day the bridegroom will go away but at this point in the account they are with Jesus Jesus is with them and he's saying it's not the time to fast Okay, so then Jesus gives two parables, all right, to help them understand. Do we remember what parables are? Because we've spoken about that. Now, parables are stories that Jesus told about everyday things, everyday objects and circumstances that had a deeper spiritual meaning. So these two analogies he gives are going to be exactly what Jesus is saying to these people in his response at that time. Let's look at these two analogies, these two parables. Now, what he's going to be explaining to them, to them through these parables, and we'll discuss it even a little fuller in a moment, is he is now ushering in something new, a new covenant, grace, right? These people have not been under grace. They don't understand what is grace. Why? Because they've been under the law of Moses up until this time. They've been under the law of Moses. And, um, and he's speaking of this new thing. We refer to it as the new covenant or grace. And it's going to be in opposition. He's speaking about it in opposition to an old thing, an old covenant. And what is that? The law of Moses, which is all they know up till this point. Now he's going to be speaking about two parables. One is a torn garment that's going to be patched with a brand new patch. The other is about wine and wineskins, putting new wine into old wineskins. He's going to be using these two different analogies, parables, he's telling. And they're going to have a deeper spiritual meaning. Okay, number one, let's talk about the, that garment, because this is the easier one for us to understand. Okay, there's a garment. Let's take a, a shirt, a top. And it needs repair. There's a, there's a rip in it. 
Now, this garment, right, it, obviously it's ripped, it's old, it's, it's been washed and washed and washed, and what happens to material when it gets wet, when it dries, especially repeatedly? It shrinks, doesn't it? It shrinks and it gets, um, it changes a little bit. You know, it's not like a brand new fabric. You know, you bring home something home from the store, you look at it and you're like, whoa, that's lovely. And it's all, it's full. you wash it and you think, oh, that's gone down a size or two. <laughs> well, anyway, it was the same in Jesus' day. And he's saying, this old garment, it shrinks up. You would not take a brand new piece of material that's never been washed and, and sew that over the hole because what will happen? When that garment is again washed, then that, um, that new patch that they put on there is going to shrink up and it's actually going to tear away from the hole, making the hole in the garment worse. And that's not what you want to do. Okay, let's talk about the second one. And then both of them have the same meaning. So let's talk about both and then, then we'll talk about the meaning. Let's talk about the wine and the wineskins. I, I put this one second in explanation is because it's a little less understandable by us because we don't walk around with wineskins anymore. Not really. I mean, I don't know anybody who has any wineskins. We use bottles, right? When you see wine in a shop, it's bottled. It's bottled with a cork in it, most likely, or a little cap on it. But in the days of Jesus, when wine was being um, fermented, now you have to understand, when you crush up grapes or whatever you're going to make wine with, so grapes, let's say, in, the, in these days, um, what would happen was it would go through a fermentation process. That means they age it. And as these things, as the wine would age, it builds up gases, okay? This is just science, okay? Um, so what would happen is they would use wineskins, which were animal skins. Now, new wineskins were soft and supple and stretchy, okay? An old wineskin would, just like an animal hide would get, would be hard and more rigid and, and not easily stretchable. So old wine that has been through its fermentation process, it's not really producing gases anymore, can go into an old wineskin because it's not going to expand the wineskin, okay, and stretch it out. And that's good because an old wineskin can't handle the stretching anymore. It's a little bit dry. It's a little bit old. It's a little bit stiff. And if you put new wine, which is still in the fermentation process, producing gases and expanding, you put the new wine into an old wineskin, what's going to happen? The old wineskin, rigid, hard, not going to stretch. The new wine is still going to expand. It's going to do what new wine does and expand. And it's going to Burst open that old wine skin and all the wine will be spilled everywhere and the wine skin will be ruined. So you only put new wine into a new wine skin that has the ability to expand and stretch and grow because it's soft and it's supple. Okay, what do these analogies mean? So what Jesus is saying to them he is also saying to us, you have to understand that, he was saying it to them, but it was written down and recorded for us to know as well. What he is saying to them is he's not just bringing patches to fix up our old lives, but he's actually doing something brand new. He's making the lives of those who would receive him brand new under a brand new covenant that's going to be unlike 
anything that they have known before. He's saying that it isn't going to work if you put patches on an old life. You can't just take someone who's rigid and hard and has a rigid, hard heart, because that wineskin represents the heart of man. And it's rigid and it's hard under the law. And this is what he was saying about like those Pharisees who were doing things. They were doing the law. They were doing the things under the law, making the sacrifices, um, doing the fasting, you know, doing things that they had to, to tick the boxes. But their heart was hard toward God. Their heart was not soft. It wasn't a, a soft, beautiful heart that was open and receptive to the love of God and able to give love to God. There was no love involved. It was law for law's sake. And the law was never meant to be even that. It was meant to be an example to us of, of how, you know, that we are sinful and can't keep the law. But the heart was always meant to be soft toward God. There's even a scripture in the Old Testament where God says through the prophet, he says, and I will give them a new heart, a heart, a soft heart of flesh. I'll take away the stony heart that's inside them and I will put within them a heart of flesh, a soft heart, like, like a soft new wineskin. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it doesn't, um, he hasn't come to do things the way that they were done in the past, but he's bringing something new, a new covenant. You can't mix the old with the with, uh, of law with the new covenant of, of grace he doesn't work he doesn't want to put patches on the old, old life to try to fix us this is what jesus said it's even more radical than that what jesus wants to do is let the old us die that's right i went there i said it death he wanted the old you the old me the old person to die to fully die so that with the life of Christ inside of us, he will resurrect us as a brand new creation in Christ, a new life in him. We are a new wineskin, soft, supple, and able to receive the new wine of grace that he wants to give us. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament that this was coming. So this is not some... Where is Jesus getting this? What is this weird philosophy he's bringing to us? You see, they didn't, they weren't thinking of these scriptures. The prophet Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 32. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So what he's trying to, what he's saying is it's coming. It's, it's here. It's coming. The new thing that I'm doing, that, that where I'm making a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, he's doing it right here and right now. And he's saying it. He's saying it. He's saying, I'm going to bring a new way. I'm doing it. I'm bringing a new covenant. No patching up the old life, but a brand new life. Let's look at Romans 6, 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live as new lives. Not old patched up lives. New life 
in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. Something that never existed before. You're brand new. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. You know, and some of the Jews that became Christ followers at that time, they did have a problem with being saved by grace alone. They had a real hard time with it, a lot of them. One of their central questions that faced early Christians, early Christ followers, people who were Jewish who became Christians, what, um, they, they wanted to spread the gospel, which was what Jesus said to do, to do to all creatures, right? So even to Gentiles, to non-Jews. But they had this question. They said, did Gentiles, people who had never been Jewish before, need to undergo circumcision and observe the Jewish law in order to be a Christian? So they were saying, do we need to convert Gentiles to being Jewish and get them under the law, get them circumcised, get them to do all the things under the law so that they can then become Christians. See, they didn't understand that, that it was only through Jesus that we are saved. You don't have to convert to the law and do the things of the law to then morph into the new life in Christ. You see, Paul said to them, no, no, people aren't saved by keeping the law. The Apostle Paul reiterated this to them. He said, but it is by putting your faith in Jesus alone. That's all you need. We don't have to get them circumcised in order for them to have new life in Christ. All they need is Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. You know, we, we are now under the new covenant of grace. You know, and people can sometimes, even in this day and age, they can still have a problem with being saved through faith alone in Christ. They think, oh yes, yes, we need Jesus, we need Jesus, that's the number one, that's the number one thing, but then you also need to do this in order to be saved and loved and accepted by God. And yeah, yeah, you need to do this, this, and this, and you need to dress this way, and you need to make sure that you're at these three meetings this week, and you need to make sure you're, you're giving this amount of money, and then, then you'll be saved. The truth is, it is only through Christ that we are saved. There's nothing else. It's a free gift. That's what it is. And you can't mix the old with the new. Otherwise, you're pouring new wine of grace into an old wineskin, a rigid heart that is not a new heart. You can't do it. It doesn't mix. It doesn't gel. And Jesus said, this isn't going to work. We're going to need to do away. Okay, we're going to, or not do away with. Jesus was going to fulfill all the law and all the prophets in everything that he was going to do. So all we needed was Jesus, and all we still need today is Jesus. It's only by faith in Jesus that we're made right, and we get a brand new life. No patches, no patches. You don't have to do anything else to have God's salvation. No amount of ceremony or good works is going to save us. Only Jesus. And there you go, guys. I'm actually done for the day. I did say I was going to try to keep these down to a, a minimum, get them short and sweet so that they're more doable. So there you go. Now, 
I hope you enjoyed this. You can watch it on Catch Up. It will be put on, um, it will be on the Facebook page of Family Church. And uh, yeah, so you can catch up if you if you want to listen to the whole thing. You only caught the end of this. Well, have a wonderful day and enjoy the gift of grace that has been given to us through Christ alone. Have a wonderful day. Bye.